0: was asking God what he wanted me to share tonight, and um, it's kind of funny, because I kept, I kept thinking about the word seek, right? And I don't know if, if everyone here played a childhood game called Hide and Go Seek. If you guys have ever played Hide and Go Seek, raise your hand. Okay, so most of you, except for Eddie, Hongju, so everyone else has played Hide and Go Seek. Do you all know what Hide and Go Seek is? Eddie, you don't know? Oh, no. Okay. Oh, man. All right. So um, so I grew up playing hide-and-go-seek, but not many people know this about me, but um, I actually really dislike this game. Really dislike this game. I actually hate the game hide-and-go-seek. And not many people know why, and it's, it's kind of a long story. But the reason I don't like playing hide-and-go-seek is because... Um, if you guys know me, I moved around a lot growing up. So my dad was a cargo ship inspector. That means he inspected cargo ships, okay? And then, <laughs> and then he, basically every three years we had to move. So we moved, I, we went to Arkansas, I grew up on a big farm, but then in third grade I moved to Korea, I went to school for a year, and then we moved back to Arkansas, and then I moved to Spain, then we moved back to Arkansas. So, and then within Arkansas, I moved like, different towns. So I was always switching schools. Every three years, or every year to three years, I would um, have to switch schools, move to a different town. I never had a steady group of friends. And um, as soon as I would meet new people and get to know them, I would be moving again. And so often, my brother was the only one I could play with, okay? He was my only friend in those times of transition or in those times we were moving. And so... Um, my big brother, who he's two years older than me. His name is Will. He's very intelligent. He's one of the smartest people I know. But he is also very, like, sneaky, and he likes to mess with me a lot. I'm his little sister, okay? Who here has little siblings? Some of you. So I don't know if you guys are like my big brother, but my big brother loves to mess with me and get me s- to spaz out, okay? So, <laughs> so um, every time we played games together... He would always win, okay? One, because he's just better at most things than me. Two, because he's stronger. Three, because he's smarter, okay? I'm just going to admit it. And so most childhood games, I just have very, like, I don't like playing board games even to this day. I just have very bad memories of them because I always lost, and he always won easily. Um, and often he would cheat or make up rules. I didn't know better. I just always, I just trusted him. I always just trusted him, okay? And so, um... Most games weren't very fun for me, but especially hide-and-go-seek, all right? And so um, you can imagine what it was like for this little Asian girl um, growing up on my 400-acre farm, okay? My my parents own a a cattle farm. We had 400 acres, which is a vast amount of land, and most of it was like wilderness forest that we didn't even have. We only have like a small patch where our house is, and then a trail to our catfish pond and like creek, but then like the rest of it was forest, right? And then, so my brother and I would go out into the forest, into the woods, and, like, play hide and go seek. And when it was my turn to hide, um, I'm, like, a bad hider, but partly because I kind of, I just want to be found. Like, I just, like, it's, I, like, I don't hide, like, when I try to find a hiding spot, like, in in the deepest part of my heart, I'm, like, I don't really want to stay hidden, you know? Like, I want somebody to find me. I don't want to just be left out here. Like, I don't know. I just... I, and I was a bad hider, so I would often be the one seeking. And then my brother would be, you know, like, close your eyes, count. And I'd, like, up to a tree, like, one, two, three, four, Mississippi. And then, and then in that time where I would count, he would go hide. And um, the problem was I was a really, really bad seeker, okay? Like... Some people have that intuition. They, they don't even, they're just like, they just, knew because when I play with my friends, they would just know where to go. Like, as soon as they open their eyes, they just go directly to where the person's hiding. They just know intuitively where to seek the person, right? But I'm a really bad seeker. So I just looked and I looked and I looked, like, I looked and I searched and I was trying my best, but I could not ever find him And, um, it was just, it was out in the middle of nowhere in, uh, in the woods, you know? So I'm just like frantically searching, looking for my brother and his hiding places were always so good. Like he would either hide in really high places or low places or like places I would never think to look or places that were too far off that I, I was too afraid to like venture off. Um, he was such a good hider or, sometimes, during the time I was closing my eyes and counting, um, cause I never cheated, cause I found out he did though, okay? But I never cheated. I found out that in the times I counted, he would run all the way home. <laughs> and then he would like, get out a popsicle, turn on cartoons, and he would see how long it would take me to come home. And so I would just, <laughs> I would just, I would just like, keep looking and looking for him out of the woods with myself, and, and like, Um, (laughs) you guys can love, you don't have to feel so bad for me. I did a lot of really messed up stuff to my big brother too, but so he, he loved to mess with me. He loved to give me a hard time. Um, but I remember during those times that I was seeking him, I would think like, okay, he has to be out here. Like this is a game. I closed my eyes. I saw him. My brother is here somewhere. I can't see him. I can't hear him, but he is here, and I will find him, you know? And I started off always so, like, sure that I was going to seek him and find him and tag him, and I'm looking and looking. But the longer I look, soon it started, like, my heart started beating faster. I started getting panicky, started feeling a little anxious, started feeling a little afraid. And then soon I would just slow down and be like, I've been looking for a long time. And then soon I would just... He's not here. I can't find. Him. And then I would just call out, "Willie, Willie, I can't find you. <laughs> I can't find you anywhere." And then I, I would most of the time I would just end the hide and seek game, like walking home, and I'd be crying. <laughs> like either these are the options in my little child's mind: either he got eaten by a wild animal, he fell into a big hole. Or he went home and left me. So he, any of those scenarios made me very sad. You know, they hurt my little my little girl feelings. And so I was always very sad. And uh, hide and go seek never ended well for me. But um, what I found out after I began to walk with Jesus um, was... So I had grown up in church my whole life. But when I really began to walk with the Lord, in my relationship with him, what I found was that I was playing a hide-and-seek game too, you know. And... This is sometimes what the Christian faith can look like. Just like in the game of hide and go seek, for some reason, it's so easy for us to sometimes hide from God, right? And for some reason, it's so hard for us to seek him, right? In moments of fear or shame or when we've fallen short or when we're confronted with our shortcomings, it's so easy to want to hide from the presence of God and from the people of God. I don't want to find him. I don't want him to find me because I feel so ashamed. I feel so condemned, right? And then sometimes in my faith walk, um, I wouldn't just not want to be found by him. I wouldn't want to, you know, just want to hide from him. But I would also just doubt God, right? Just like I would be searching for my brother and soon I'm starting to doubt, is he even out here? Did he go home? Is he not even in the woods? Is he playing a joke on me? Sometimes I would begin to doubt that God's really there. Man, all this seeking, all this searching, I've been looking and looking, but God, either you're hiding from me or you don't want to be found by me or you're not even there. I'm searching and seeking for something that doesn't even exist or I'm searching and seeking someone who doesn't want to be found by me. Sometimes I've even doubted that God wanted me to find him. Other times, guys, I've doubted my ability to seek him knowing my weaknesses, knowing my shortcomings, knowing that I'm not steadfast. Sometimes I seek sink into this defeatism, right? Just like I gave up seeking for my brother in that game, man, I'm never going to find him. I'm the worst seeker ever, so it's just just something wrong with me. Maybe other people can find God, but for me, I can't find God. Whether it's finding him in that initial first step of relationship or finding him in that breakthrough or finding him in feeling his presence or finding him in that promise you're contending for, sometimes we begin to just doubt ourselves. It's me as a seeker. There's something wrong with me. So we just want to give up and we decide that we're just going to hide, right? But tonight I feel like God wants to really reshift our mindset about this hide and go seek game with him, okay? So if you are taking notes, the title of my message is Don't Hide, Go Seek. There's a tack on the floor. I don't know how it got there. I'm going to scoot it away. So if you have your Bibles, please open it up to Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter three, starting with verse eight. (laughs) All right. So why don't we read it all together? Okay. With whatever version you have. I have NIV. So I'm going to read from that. All right. Let's start. All right. So I want to pray before we get into the meat of this word. So bow your heads with me. God, I just thank you for your truth. I thank you that what you speak is true. I thank you that what you speak is right. I thank you that your written word in our lives, God, as you reveal it to us, as you unfold it in us, God, it brings light to our understanding. It brings light to our hearts, and so, Father, I pray that your living and active word become truth in us, God, that the things in us that are not true, God, you begin to remove, you begin to uproot from our hearts and our minds, and that, God, that your truth will truly set us free tonight. God, we love you, and we give you our full attention. We give you our hearts, God. I pray that you open every heart, every eye, every ear to know, God, your voice, I thank you that you are our good shepherd, that you lead us into truth. We love you, and we give you our time tonight, God. Um, We worship you in this place, God. God, I thank you that these students could be doing a hundred other things, but they're choosing to put themselves in your presence because you chose them first. We love you, and in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so (laughs) from the beginning of time, You guys know this is the creation story, right? Genesis, first book of the Bible from the beginning of time, from the moment sin entered the world, when man first chose pleasure outside of the will of God, when man first chose independence away from God, when man first chose to go his own way, from that first moment, we've been playing a hide-and-go-seek game with God. Do you guys see that? It says that they hid from the Lord God, that God was walking in the cool of the garden and they hid from him when they heard him coming, right? This, where we pick up in scripture, what happens before it is that God spoke and creation came into being, right? He said, let there be light, and there was light. He, he created man out of the dust. He made everything in motion, and then he said, this is all for you. This is all for you. Be fruitful and multiply. And then sin entered the world. This is right after he forms Adam out of the dust, and it says that he breathed his life breath into Adam. And so I want you guys to think about that. The first being who ever was, okay, God created him, but his, his form was not yet alive until God breathed his life into this man, into the first man. And so the first thing that this Adam, this man saw was God. If you are going to breathe, like, I don't want you to try it because this is going to invade everyone's personal space, but if you were to breathe your life into someone, right, you have to be pretty close to them, face to face, okay? Okay. He breathes his breath into Adam, and Adam comes to life. Yeah, you don't have to try it, Hannah. It's okay. It's okay. So he breathes his life breath into Adam. Adam comes to life, and the first thing he sees when he opens his eyes is God. Okay? The image he has is God, face-to-face in intimacy. And the first thing he feels is God's presence. And the first thing he tastes is God's perfect provision. Adam is walking in perfect, unobstructed intimacy with God. He is walking in the cool of the garden with God, hand in hand, every day, right? Adam was so content and satisfied in the Lord and in that garden that he didn't even know he needed to help me. God was the one that came up to Adam and said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will, I will, I will make a provision for this, right? Adam didn't tell God, God, I need something, I lack something, because Adam was so content and overflowing and full of God, full with the way things were. He didn't need anything. He didn't know what he needed, but God gave him what he knew Adam needed, right? Just like he provided fruit, he provided like the land, he provided everything for Adam. And so Adam walked with God in the cool of the garden. And I want you guys to think about, because I mean every believer, every person who's on this faith journey, they have moments of doubt, they have moments of fear, they have moments when the presence of God, the reality of God seems farther or they feel disconnected more than usual, right? Or there's seasons where it's so real and tangible when it's like Adam walking face to face. You just feel God's presence and his love so powerfully and and you're just so on fire and you could not lack one thing. You couldn't want one thing. You're so content in the Lord. But it's not always like that, right? Sometimes you, you can't feel his presence. You read the word. You don't get anything out of it. You sing all the worship songs, but you don't feel anything. You pray. You do everything you can and you don't feel a single thing. Or sometimes you haven't even encountered God yet, but it seems like... God, I cannot believe that you are real. How can you be real? Make yourself real to me. Sometimes it's easier to perceive that he's real than other times, right? But imagine being Adam before sin entered the world. He, the first thing he sees is is God's face. He walks with God in the cool of the day, hand in hand. He can see God. He can touch God. He can feel God's presence. There's no ability to doubt. Like, it's almost like I doubt that Ruth is... being okay but i can like touch ruth i can talk to ruth i can hear ruth audibly right i can feel ruth has a leg you know i can i could taste ruth if i have a bite but i'm not going to do that i i know she's real i cannot doubt at all that she's real right in the same way whenever whenever adam and god walk together that's how easy it was for adam to know that god was real all right that's the way that God actually wanted it to be all along. You know that he created he created man out of his good pleasure. He didn't create man because he needed man to fulfill a longing in his heart. He was completely satisfied with just Holy Spirit and Jesus. They were just chilling and loving each other. They don't need us, right? He created man out of his good pleasure to love us right to be in relationship with us to be the objects of his love he created us to walk hand in hand with us in a garden that's why we exist that's the purpose of our being to be loved by the father to be loved by our creator that's what we were meant for that is what we're walking toward that was at the beginning of time and on this journey of life that's what's waiting for us at the end right? And this life, it's been crafted by God so that we can have moments of interaction and encounter with him, whether it's unconditional love from a family member, whether it's randomly meeting an Emmaus staff on a sidewalk and coming to large group. He has has crafted our lives so that we can have moments of encounter with him, so that we can have glimpses of when he becomes real to us through people, through moves of his spirit, through the word, through many different ways God chooses to reveal himself. But at the end of this story, at the end of this story is intimacy with God. For those who have who have, who have have been touched by God, who God has revealed himself to, who have sought after God, at the end of the story is intimacy. The point, if you guys read Revelation, God keeps saying, so that they will be my people and that I will be their God and that I will dwell with them forever and I will wipe every tear from their eye, right? The point... Of this God that we serve, this holy, powerful, uh, omnipotent God is, is, is that He could know us in intimate relationship. And that's crazy, right? It's crazy when you think about it. But, whenever sin entered the world, because He had to provide a way for man to choose Him or not choose Him, because a real love relationship needs choice. If there was no choice, it's not a love relationship. If we have no, cho- if we have no um, choice in the matter, we cannot really give God our love, right? It's just force. And so man chose to go his own way. Man, I don't lack anything. God has promised me everything. I have fullness in his presence. Yet the deceiver came and said, did God really say don't eat this fruit? right? And so we took something thinking that God was holding out on us, thinking that there was some good apart from God, thinking that there was some good in going our own way. We ate the fruit. We, we allowed sin into the world. And then what happened was immediately Adam and Eve knew they were naked, right? They knew that they were naked. Immediately they were filled with shame. Immediately they wanted to cover themselves, The moment that sin entered the world, we entered into a hide-and-go-seek game with God. First, when they saw that they were naked, when they saw their sin, when they saw that shame, they wanted to cover themselves. It said that they began to sew fig leaves together and cover themselves, right? I mean, I love leaves. I eat them. I play with them. But I have never tried to sew them. Have you? Okay, so if you try, I mean, like, can you imagine Adam and Eve? They're like, running around happily naked. They don't know any better. They're completely content and confident. They have no shame, right? No shame. Completely vulnerable to God and to one another, intimate with one another and God. And then all of a sudden they're ashamed and they begin to sew frantically some leaves together because that's all they have, okay? They're just trying to cover themselves with leaves, okay? And so isn't that kind of what we try to do too? Yeah, I messed up. I know I wasn't supposed to do this, so let me try to figure something out. What do I have around me? Let me try to read my Bible enough, pray enough, go to enough religious activities so that I can find something to cover up what I know is wrong, to cover up my shame, to cover up my nakedness, because I know this isn't right before the Lord, and I know that He's not going to be pleased with me, so I'm going to do something. I'm going to strive. I'm going to work. I'm going to cover my shame. I'm going to cover my nakedness with my own work, with the work of my own hands, right? And I want you guys to think about that in the story after they so sew, sewed, the, sued? Sew, after they have sewn, <laughs> after they so sew, have sewn the, okay, anyway, when they did that, okay, when they made their new garments, did it work? Did it set them free? Did it make them feel holy and intimate with one another and God? Did it make them feel alive? Did it make them feel um, free again? Did it? make them go back to their original state? No. The fig leaves didn't work. The work of their hands did not provide a covering for them because you know that's how they feel because when God began to walk in the cool of the garden and he said, where are you? Where are you? What do they do? They hid. If the fig leaves worked, if the work of their own hands was sufficient, they wouldn't have hid. They would have proudly gone up to God I have nothing to be afraid of. God cannot see my sin, right? Because the fig leaves would have been enough. But the own work of their hands was not enough to cover their shame or to cleanse them. And so seeing God coming, hearing God coming, they hid from him. This God that created them to love them. This God who formed Adam out of the dust and breathed his very life breath into Adam. This God who was the creator and author of all life. This God who provided everything they would need to be satisfied. This God who loved them was calling out to them, where are you? And they hid. They hid from the very author of life. And I think that as I was, as I was going through my hide-and-seek with my brother, those times I played with him, this is often what believers tend to do with the Lord as well, right? We see God at times. We feel his presence. We hear him speaking to us. We have those moments of interaction with him where we feel that God is real, that God is loving, right? And then what we do is we begin to make these vows. We begin to make these commitments to him. We begin to say, God... There's there's nothing I could want apart from you. You're the one that I want, right? I want to worship you all the days of my life. God, you're everything to me. And then soon the enemy comes and he tries to deceive us. He tries to plant doubt and fear and lies into us, right? And soon we begin to doubt God's goodness. We begin to doubt his love or even his existence sometimes. Sometimes we fall, we fall short. We have weaknesses, we stumble, we fall. And in those moments, guys, we try to make up for it by working really, really hard in our own way, in our own effort, by doing something with our own hands and our own ability to make up for our shortcoming, to try to cover ourselves. But we realize at the end that it's all in vain, and so we hide from God anyway. And in that place of hiding, it just gets really messy. I don't know if, if you guys are like me, but whenever I um, mess up, whenever I sin or fall short, and I begin to um, try to make up for it and strive in my own ways, okay, God, I'm going to do a bunch of QTs, I'm going to read the Bible, I'm going to go to everything and be good, okay, so that I can earn my place of righteousness again. And then I realize that doesn't work, and then I hide from God, Soon, I'm just like going deeper and deeper into this pit of, you made a mistake. You're so sinful. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Why do, you, why do you have these thoughts? Why are you doing that? Why are you being like that, right? And all I focus on is my shortcoming or my weakness or my mistake, right? And I don't know if that works for you, but it doesn't really work for me. Usually, it just makes me more depressed, okay, and more, oh, I suck. Why do I suck, Okay. Focusing on your sin and your mess-ups is not going to do anything for you. It's only going to cause you to go deeper and deeper into that place of hiding, into that place of darkness, into that place of, of wanting to be away from the one person that can set you free. The first point I want to make tonight is stop hiding. Stop hiding. Okay? It's very, very simple. Eugene prayed tonight, you know this relationship with God, it can be really simple. It is very simple, okay? Stop hiding. It's very easy, okay? The devil wants you to buy into his deception and then sometimes we do and we sin and then the next, the next strategic target of the enemy is he wants to get you to stay hidden. He wants to get you to stay behind the trees, right? Forever. Because he wants you to continue to focus on your shortcomings, on your mistakes, on your sin. He wants you to keep all of that stuff hidden and in a dark place. He wants you to keep hidden from the presence of God, from the word of God, from the people of God. But what you must do is turn your attention away from your sin. Away from your nakedness, away from your shame. And turn your attention to the, the voice that's calling in the garden. Where are you? Where are you? In those moments, guys, when you are covered, when you are ashamed, when you're hiding, and you hear that loving voice, Where are you? Where are you? The enemy's going to get you to think, Oh, that's a voice of anger, a voice of judgment, a voice of condemnation, a voice of rebuke. But the truth is, that's a voice of a loving father, looking for the sons and the daughters that he loves, okay? God is a gracious God. God not only wants us to keep ourselves, no, God not only wants us to stop hiding from him, but God also wants us to seek him, okay? And um, Psalm 105.4 says, look to the Lord and his strength, seek his face continually, all right? So not only do we need to stop hiding, but we need to seek, okay? Don't hide Go and seek. This game of hide and seek, guys, is a little bit different in our relationship with God. And the way that I want to illustrate this is to tell you the story of two very different kings in the Old Testament, okay? Um, One of them is named King Rehoboam. 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 Is that right, Changmi? Rehoboam? Okay. So he was the son of King Solomon. King Solomon was the son of King David, okay? So he's King David's grandson. And it says in Second Chronicles 12 that King Rehoboam a- abandoned the law of the Lord. And it also says in verse 14 that he, that he talked, that, okay, it says in verse 14 that he did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord. King Rehoboam did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord, okay? Why did King Rehoboam do evil? Okay, so this is a big point, okay? He did a lot of evil things. He did a lot of righteous things in his life. But what the word says about King Rehoboam is he was evil because he did not set his heart on. It didn't say he's righteous because he did awesome things or he's evil because he did evil things. He said the word of God said he's evil because he did not set his heart on seeking the Lord. Okay, okay? This king was confronted by a prophet of the Lord at that time. And um, the prophet of the Lord said, Turn from your ways. King Rehoboam humbled himself and turned from his ways. God pardoned him, right? But still, the end of this, this, this king, the way he's known, is this king was evil in the sight of the Lord because he did not set his heart on seeking the Lord. Okay. Now, another king I want to briefly mention is King David. He, um, if you turn to Acts 13, 22, or I could just read it from you, for you, it says, After removing King Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning David, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Okay? Whoa. All right. One king, you were like, you are evil. Okay? The other king says, The other king, God says, you are a man after my own heart. This king must have been something else, right? So let's look into why David got this amazing review and why King Rehoboam did not. God obviously views these two kings very differently. And so um, one indication of why is in Psalm 27, and I want everyone to turn there. This is a very, very um, popular psalm. We often read it at at New Philly and Emmaus because we love it so much. Psalm 27. All right, I'm going to read it and follow along with me. (coughs) The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I... Go ahead and say it. Good. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord, All the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart, in other translation it says, you say to me, okay, God, you say to me, seek my face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Okay? And this is a very famous chapter, a very famous psalm of King David. And do you guys see the stark contrast between these two kings? King David isn't playing a game of hide and go seek with God, right? In the deepest part of his soul, he's saying, One thing I ask, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in your presence, God, that I can gaze upon your beauty and seek you in your temple, that God, I can gaze upon your face, right? You say to me, God, seek my face. My heart says, I will seek your face, God, right? Do you guys see the way that the word seek is being used here? And then God calls David a man after his own heart. But if you know the full story of King David, you know that he's not all seeking the Lord, that it wasn't just one thing he desired and this is what he sought, okay? He was not a perfect man, all right? If you know the full story of King David, you know that there's another story, okay? Because <laughs> one, one, one amazing day, the weather was perfect, and King David was walking on his roof, and he was scanning the horizon and just enjoying the day, and then he saw a beautiful woman bathing, okay? So she was naked, probably, unless they bathed differently (laughs) back then. (laughs) Anyway, so he sees this beautiful woman, and she's married, and she's bathing, okay? And he says, get me that woman, and he sleeps with her she gets pregnant. He finds out she gets pregnant, and he tries to cover up his sin. He tries to cover up his sin. Does this sound familiar? By by creating this story, so he gets her husband, Uriah, to come home from war, and try to. he tries to get them to sleep together so that this baby, he could say, oh, it's Uriah's baby. It's not mine. But Uriah is such a holy guy that he sleeps on the doorstep because it's time of war, okay? And so this plan doesn't work. King David's King David's plan doesn't work, right? And so he's like, oh, what am I going to do? I, I like, I got a married woman pregnant. I'm going to, I have another plan, okay? I'm going to try to cover up this sin in another way. Um, I'm going to get the general and the soldiers that King, that Uriah is fighting with to go out into the fiercest part of the battle, Front lines of the fiercest part of the battle. And then I want them to this, at the same time pull back so that they will strike Uriah dead. Basically, he set Uriah off to go kill him, okay? He had a whole plan to where the army would pull back and King and, King, and Uriah would die, right? Think about that. Whoa, that's intense, all right? So um, King David was not a perfect man there's lust there's adultery there's covetousness there's lying and there's murder that's not a one thing i ask of the lord and this is what i seek kind of guy right that's the man after your own heart god what how can that be true now in the same way that king rehoboam was confronted by a prophet and repented. King David was confronted by a prophet, Prophet Nathan, and he repented, right? The prophet, the people of the Lord, the the leaders, the people of the Lord that God has set up, they do confront, they speak truth to bring you out of a place of destruction and sin and into a place of truth. And so God provided these prophets to help guide the kings when they were being stupid. And so King King David was confronted by the prophet of the Lord. He, He repented, okay? Both kings abandoned the law of God Both kings chose sin. Both kings um, fell short of what a king was supposed to do. Both kings sinned. Both were confronted by a prophet. Both of them repented. One of them was called evil, and one of them was called a man after God's own heart. Isn't that crazy, guys? Um, I want you to turn to 2 Chronicles 30 verses 18 through 19, I really want to go through Scripture with you tonight because the truth is the only thing that sets us free. And as we go through God's Word, we're going to begin to see that it's going to challenge the way we think about things and set things in order, right, within us. And so Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse 18 and 19 says, May the Lord who is good pardon everyone who sets his heart on seeking God. The Lord, the God of his fathers, even if he is not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary, and the Lord heard this prayer and pardoned the people. Okay? May the Lord pardon the people who have set their heart on seeking God. May the Lord pardon the people who have set their heart on seeking God. It's not about the rules according to the sanctuary. It's not about that. May the Lord pardon the people. Who have set their heart on seeking God and the Lord heard this prayer and pardoned his people right sin is not the issue here everyone sins sin is not the biggest issue here you see the spirit of religion is all about what the out- outside external words and actions are right about the appearance of holiness, about the appearance of righteousness, about the right words at the right times, about showing people that you are right before God. But the spirit of religion has nothing to do with our hearts. It has nothing to do with our true, our the truest and deepest parts of our soul, right? And um that is why someone like me, I can grow up in church my whole life yet I could not even once have one real heart interaction with God because I was conforming to a system of beliefs and religious rituals, but my heart was far from God, okay? Matthew twenty three twenty seven says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. These were the holiest men, okay? They didn't do wrong things. They didn't lie, cheat, steal, murder, commit adultery, okay? They were holy. They were righteous. They knew the law perfectly. Yet God said, you look beautiful on the outside, but your hearts are full of dead, dry bones, hypocrisy, and evil. Okay? And then he would go hang out with tax collectors and prostitutes. And it was completely opposite. They did everything wrong on the outside, but on the inside, their hearts were soft before the Lord. Right? First Samuel 16:7 says, This is when um, the prophet Samuel is first anointing King David when he's a little shepherd boy, okay? And he says, the Lord does not look at things, at the things a man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart, right? God is concerned with our hearts because he knows that our actions will follow. But oftentimes the enemy will get us to focus on our sinful actions And then we just stay in that place, right? But we can't change our actions unless we change our heart. And we can't change our hearts unless we change our mind and unless we know the truth about God. And so God is far more concerned with the state of our heart because he knows when our hearts are in the right place, we're going to choose to act rightly and to walk in righteousness, okay? I'm not saying, guys, that sin is okay and we should just all go sin and as long as we're repentant or our hearts are soft before the Lord, that it's okay. Sin is not okay. Sin is detestable to the Lord. He's a holy and loving and just God. He's merciful, he's slow to anger, but sin and God don't mix, okay? He's not interested in us, though, being perfect, in us being... um, mistake-free, in us never stumbling or falling, okay? Because if our righteousness before God was dependent upon our own merits, our own ability, and our own actions, then we would all fail. We would all be cast out of the presence of God. If it was dependent on us, we could not do this, okay? Ever. Even the most holy of us would not be able to go into God's presence. The book of Romans clearly tells us that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short, right? Not one of us, not one of us is blameless. Not one of us has, has has walked that road of perfection. That the wages of sin are... All have sinned. The wages of sin are death, right? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, okay? everyone sinned. Everyone's fallen short. You pay with death, But the gift, the free gift of of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. When we receive this gift, Jesus' righteousness becomes our righteousness. And it allows us to seek God with freedom. It allows us to approach his throne of grace with freedom and with confidence. Right? Right? Not because we deserve to, not because we worked really hard, not because our fig leaves are covering up all of our sin and fixing us, but because of his righteousness, because of this free gift, we can approach God. The difference between these two kings, these two men who both sinned against God, was that one had set his heart on seeking God and the other did not. Do you guys see that? God is not okay with sin. He's holy and loving and we all sin and we all fall short. But the difference, the key for us is whether we're going to set our hearts on seeking him or not. Okay. And when we do mess up, not staying in that hidden place of darkness, not staying in that shameful place, but just getting right back up and seeking him again. Okay. Proverbs 8:17 says, I love those who love me and those who seek me, find me. Jeremiah 29:13 says, "You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart." If you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. Another psalm of King David, he says, "O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water." I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Earnestly, God, I seek you. Am I a righteous man? Have I have I lived a blameless and sinless life? No. King David was very aware that he did not live a perfect life. King David was very aware that he had sinned. Yet he says, earnestly, I seek you. Your love is better than life. I seek you, God. I seek you, God. I seek you, God. David found the key. It's not through striving and producing fig leaves to cover us out of the work of our own hands. It's not hiding from God and from people until we get it all together. It's not trying to make up for it by appearing holy on the outside. It's just about setting our hearts to seek Him. No matter when, no matter if we're victorious or defeated, no matter whether we stumble or are walking and are strong, in every season, in every way, our hearts are set on seeking Him, right? Right? Everyone falls short. Everyone has moments of weakness. But are we going to choose to seek him? The reason why this was a key for King David was because he realized that God's presence was the one place he would be set free. He realized that God's presence was the one place he could find what he was looking for. That one place he could find that grace, that mercy, right? You see, God wants us to find him. He's not like my brother, hiding off somewhere, really, really um, in a high or low place, and then we have to search and search, or he's not just vacant. He didn't just go home and leave us there to look in the wilderness forever, right? He wants us to find him. That's why all throughout the Old Testament, he keeps saying, seek me and you'll find me. Seek me and you'll find me. If you earnestly seek me, you will find me. But oftentimes, it's not even like, we don't even have to take a step and go seeking after him. All we have to do is decide and set it in our hearts, God, I'm going to seek you. The moment we do that, oftentimes, it's then that he reveals himself to us in power, right? God wants to be found by us. And what we can't do for ourselves in hiding from God, God does for us when we seek him. Amos, uh, chapter 5, verse 4 says, seek me and live. Seek me and live. When we seek God, we find what we've been searching for. We find the breakthrough. We find the the relationship. We find the love. We find the freedom. We find what our soul has been thirsting for. Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 4 says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts On things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Set your hearts, set your minds on things above, because your life is hidden in Christ, because you have been raised with Christ back to life. Hebrews 11:6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on seeking him. He he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Seek me earnestly. Seek me with all your heart and you will find me. Right? You see, the devil wants to keep us not only deceived to step into sin or step into doubt or step into deception, but he wants to keep us hidden in that dark place. He wants to get us to set our hearts on not seeking God, but on hiding from God. He wants to get us to seek other things in the place of God. But the thing is, guys, it's kind of like a really bad cycle, okay? It's a cycle, all right? Because when we don't seek God, we seek other things. Because we need something, right? We are created to need something more than what we can see and taste and touch. We are created to long for something eternal, right? He said eternity in our hearts. So seeking, we don't seek God, we hide from him. So we seek other things. We begin to doubt God. Doubting causes us to give into deception, right? Giving into deception usually causes us to step into sin. Sinning causes us to be filled with shame. Shame causes us to want to cover ourselves with our own works. That then causes us to want to hide from God's presence. And hiding from God impairs us from seeking him. Do you guys see that we cannot seek God when we're hiding from him? I know that it's so obvious, but think about that. If you're hiding from someone, how can you seek him, right? You can only seek him if you are running towards him, if you are removed from that place of darkness and hiding. Hiding does nothing for us but, keep, but keeps us separated from God and is evil in the sight of God. He did not say, King Rehoboam, you are sinful because you act number one, two, three, four, five. Or he didn't say you are righteous because of act one, two, three, four, five. He said, evil because you did not set your heart on seeking me. David is a man after my own heart because he said, One thing I seek, one thing I ask, and it's to dwell in your house, in your temple, to seek your face. When we sin and Even when we sin and when we seek God, it changes everything. Because he said, if we seek him, we will find him. If we find him, we find life. When Adam first opened his eyes in that creation story, and he first got a picture of the world, and he saw God face to face, God breathed his life into him, and Adam became alive. When he walked with God hand in hand in the cool of the garden, whenever he spoke with God like a friend, That's what we find when we seek God we find intimacy. We find a God who embraces us We find what we've been looking for. We find his perfect presence He said in my presence is fullness of life fullness of joy freedom, okay He promises if we seek him he will be found by us and isaiah chapter 45 verse 19 says I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in the land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. I didn't say, seek me in vain. If I said you will seek me and you will find me, that is what's true. I don't speak what is untrue. I am the Lord God. What I speak is true. What I speak is right. If God said, seek me and you will find me, that is true, then you will find him. He is not man that he should lie. He is not causing us to just go on this wild chase of him and then hiding from us. He said, if you seek me, if you set your heart on earnestly seeking me, you will find me. And when you find me, you will find the life that you are looking for. And so I want you guys to realize that you are either doing one or the other. You are either hiding from God or you are seeking him. You cannot do both. You cannot do one and and do half of the other. It's either one or the other. You can't hide and seek God. But if you seek God, all the reasons why you want to hide are going to be taken care of. Do you know what I mean? And so I want you guys to think about that. If you are hiding from God, if there's an area of your life that you are trying to cover up, keep hidden, try to fix on your own, in your in your own way, sowing your leaves together, Okay? then I want you to think about this okay do you think that his grace is weaker is not enough to cover your weaknesses and shortcomings do you think that the cross was not enough to destroy your sin do you think that his robes of righteousness are not enough to cover your nakedness do you think that his resurrection from the dead is not enough to bring you back to life Do you think that your darkness is too dark for his light? Do you think that your temptation is stronger than God's spirit in you? Do you think that your doubts about God, about his goodness, are stronger than his promises? Do you think that your fears stand a chance against his all-consuming love? I want you to think about it. Because if we hide from God and we choose to stay in that hidden place, what it's really saying is, This sin and this thing that I am harboring, this thing that I'm dealing with and struggling with, is so much more powerful than what I can access in your presence. It's not a matter of the weight of the sin, of the gravity of our mistakes. It's a matter of what do we believe to be powerful? Who do we believe to be true? Do we believe that the power of sin and darkness is stronger than the power of God, of his grace, of the cross, of resurrection, It's all a matter of what we have decided in our minds. Because if we have decided in our minds that God is a place of freedom, that his presence is a place of freedom, if we have decided in our minds that God is a loving father, like the story of the prodigal son, the son, he chooses to squander his inheritance on reckless living. He makes all sorts of mistakes. And the moment he comes to, he realizes, I could be a servant in my father's house and live better than I am. I'm going to go back and seek my father's house, right? He goes back. The moment his father sees him, because his father has been looking out the window every day for his son's return, his father runs to him with open arms, embraces him, doesn't ask any questions, puts a robe around his back, puts a ring on his finger, kills a fattened calf and celebrates his son's return. And he says, my son was dead and now he's alive again right? That is the God that is calling out to us in the garden. It's not a God who wants to judge us, to condemn us, to point out and expose our weaknesses and our shortcomings. He knows, but that's the whole point of the cross. He is a God who embraces his sons and his daughters. Our responsibility is to seek him. Our responsibility is not to make ourselves holy In Luke uh, chapter 19, verse 10, it says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And the reason our responsibility is seeking Him, the reason why we are able to seek Him now is because Jesus first sought us. Because God first left His throne and walked in the garden and called out to us. Because God first sought us, we can now seek Him. in the midst of our failures and our weaknesses and our inability, that's whenever he comes after us, when he sought us, right? That's when he sought Adam and Eve and he said, where are you? In the midst of our transgression, that's when Jesus came and sought us out as well, right? And so I feel like, I feel like sometimes, guys, it's so easy to have those moments of encounter when God seems to be so real to us. And in our, in our earnest heart, our genuine heart, we say, God, I want to seek you. God, I want to follow you. God, I want to pursue you. But the moment the enemy comes and he whispers those lies, the moment he tries to get us to doubt, the moment our doubts begin to take over, the moment we begin to fall short, We're not living up to our own expectations or others. We begin to cover ourselves and hide. I feel like, guys, God wants to renew our minds about what to do in that moment. It's not about... Covering up and hiding until we've got it all together because it's not going to work that way It's about going after him and allowing him to make us holy. It's about receiving grace It's about confessing repenting and receiving the forgiveness that jesus bought for us. That's the whole point Okay, if it's all about our works, then there's no point in the cross And so I feel like tonight The message is very simple Don't hide but seek him Don't hide, but seek him, okay? When you looked at those two king stories, they both sinned, they both repented, but one was evil because he did not set his heart on seeking, and one was a man after God's own heart because he set his heart on seeking him, right? And so tonight I want to just pray for you students. As you are going through a very strenuous and hardcore week of studying and midterms, I feel like it's very difficult to say, I, one thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I could dwell in your house, God, that I could gaze upon your face. There's probably a lot of different things pulling for your attention, trying to distract you. A lot of deception the enemy is throwing at you at this time. I've been sensing that, guys. A lot of voices of condemnation, accusation. But God is saying tonight that that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works, Okay. And so I want to um, I want everyone to close their eyes in prayer. We're just going to pray to the Lord our Father.